Hi, I'm Mark Trailer from Christianity Without the Crap, the new podcast, and I never, ever listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Episode 657 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore. Back. In the saddle again with my trusty, trusty co-host, Brittany Page, everybody. We are so glad that you are alive and well, Jesse D. Well, I am alive. Mm-hmm. I am alive. And well, or you're you're gonna deny that you're well? No, I'm I'm on the mend. I'm uh, on the mend. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not uh, not a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. you had bronchitis. I did have bronchitis. For those yeah. who didn't see the update on Facebook and Twitter and Patreon, we tried to post it everywhere so that people who don't follow the Facebook page or don't follow us on Twitter, right? Somewhere we were hoping that you would have access to that information that that Jesse had bronchitis. And boy, did it wipe you out. I mean, you had an inhaler that you were prescribed. Yeah, I, you still, had, I still have the inhaler. You yeah. had a round of antibiotics that you yeah. had to take. You had uh, steroids. steroids that were prescribed yeah. to you as well. And no... It is not the coronavirus. Just for everyone that is wondering, everyone that's freaking out, it's not the coronavirus. It. I, I don't want to say it may as well as been because uh, I'm sure that it's that's more harsh. Mm-hmm. But it definitely knocked me on my ass. Yeah. For well, listen, we took our trip to D.C. Yep. Which was a great time. It was. Uh, I I feel like it's too far go- gone to recap. Oh, really? No, no. I mean, no, it's not. But it just seems like a long time ago because yeah. two weeks ago, mm-hmm. full full two weeks ago was our our last show. Right. Because we recorded a show and then jumped on a plane. Yeah. Valentine's Day, yeah. February 14th. And then here we are, goddamn, a whole month later. Yeah. A different month we're in. I don't think that that has ever happened, by the no. way. I don't think we've ever gone two weeks without never without releasing a new episode, but also without recording. We haven't sat down and talked about the news with this microphones is, in front of our faces. This is the third time I've been in this studio mm-hmm. since we left for D.C. In that time. I mean, it's I've been on my back in bed. Yeah. Really just fucked. Yeah. Completely fucked. Yeah. I mean, there were periods where I would come home from work and you would ask me like what day it was. Yeah. And like you were just completely out of it. You weren't even following the news. You weren't following what was going on. Very, very. Luckily, luckily we're in a position um, health insurance wise Mm -hmm. that it, it... it, it that didn't it wasn't an exorbitant cost right yeah. yeah but we also want to thank everybody and like we said the, we haven't ever gone 2 weeks without recording an episode in the past 
five plus years, which I don't know if that's healthy, honestly. Um, <laughs> but we we appreciate the audience giving us that slack. And by, by the I, way. I know it sounds weird to say that, but there are people who expect to hear from us. Yeah. Right. And want to hear from us. And when they don't hear from us, they can get upset. We've encountered that. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And, and, and it's nice to be wanted. Right. But it adds a certain amount of pressure on us when we do get sick, feeling like we're going to let people down. And I just I want to say for me, Jesse, you can add because a lot of it was, I mean, obviously directed at you because you were you were dying. Um, people were so supportive. And yeah, for sure. Talked about how they all they cared about was your health. Don't even worry about not putting out an episode. And it was just so nice to read those messages. Yeah, it, it is very. Listen, I was going to say that uh, March 11th, coming up here in 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 nine days, nine ten days, is our sixth anniversary of doing the show. Oh wow. Six years. Wow. We've been doing two episodes a week. Wow. <laughs> and there, listen, there have been a few weeks yeah. inside of that six years. Yeah. Hundreds of weeks. Right. Multiple hundreds of weeks. There have been a few scant in there that we've skipped doing two episodes. Yeah. But Never have we gone two weeks without doing a single episode. Never. This is the first time. Yeah, and it feels weird. It feels weird. And in the course of those six years, there have been people who feel um, owed a show, entitled to a show. And I understand that because we become part of the routine. Right. I'm not shitting on that attitude. Yeah. This has been the first time that we've taken a break. And this is the longest break, but... This is the first time that everyone, I don't think we received any message that was, hey, hurry the fuck up. Yes. Yeah. And that was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, My heart goes out to all of you. Thank you so much for all of the love, all of the concern, mm-hmm. all of the well wishes. Yeah. Uh, it goes a long way knowing that we have that kind of a support network out there. And uh, even though I'm not 100%, yeah. we're... We're, like I said, back in the saddle. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we should talk about some of our DC trip yeah, just no, to kind of recap t- it. It was a great time. Yeah, it was a really good trip. It was really quick. We had a red-eye flight um, on Valentine's Day, Friday. And so we were there Saturday morning. And I think we took like a two-hour nap. And then we were up and at them. Yeah, and we went all yeah. day, every day. And it it was just a great trip. A lot of good food. We went to the African-American History Museum. Oh, I definitely want to talk about the trip. Which... Yeah. Which wasn't there last time I was there, which is which was in 2013. Yeah. And wow, what an experience that was. I have never had as emotional an experience at a museum as I did at the African American History Museum or, or even the National Portrait Gallery, for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one, too. But the African-American History Museum, we went, and after we were there, we were talking to some people, and they said, did you go to the top or the bottom first? Because you have an option. You can go to the upper levels first, or you can go down to the bottom. And we we did the top first, and they say, oh, good. I'm glad that you did the top first, because that's the way it should be done. More of a celebration of African-American culture, 
um, African American uh, accomplishments, whether it be education, whether it be music, whether it be sports, all of that stuff is up top. Yeah, uh, and then below is the real heavy stuff. Yeah, and so at the top you'll see like Earth, Wind, and Fire outfits and Bootsy Collins outfits, <laughs> and you know all the fun, cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's like a a whole segment dedicated to Dr. Ben Carson, which was interesting to see, even though. Uh, he has been very disappointing as a part of the Trump administration. Um, remarkable achievements. Just he's as had. an American, he's disappointing. <laughs> Not even as a black guy. Just he's <laughs> his contributions to the Trump administration and inability to. Uh, not go along have been have been disappointing, but yes. but great accomplishments. Interesting feature that they had of him, but then yeah, like you said, you go to the bottom and it was really busy that day, and they take you down in an elevator, and as you're going down in the elevator, the years on the wall start going down, like to illustrate right kind of this effect of you're going down to the bottom of almost feeling like a slave ship yeah right you yeah. come out of the elevator and there's not a lot of room and i think they maybe do that intentionally i don't know yeah it has to be by design and so you feel very stuffed yeah. into like a basement type thing and like you said it was very very emotional. One of the things that they have there is Emmett Till's coffin, his real coffin, because his body was dug up and exhumed. They needed uh, some DNA verification or something, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know, five years ago or something. Um, and so his his real coffin was donated to, to the museum. And it's the one area of the museum you can't take photos. Mm -hmm. you, you have to keep your phone yeah. put away. And, I mean, you walk through that room and it is impossible to walk out of that room and not be overcome with emotion. Yeah. It was very, very difficult. Um, but I, I highly recommend it. We spent like two hours there and really you could spend all day there. Um, so... That's that should definitely be on everybody's list next time they go to DC. Yeah, it, it is. Um, race relations are something that have really been a a seminal issue for me on my leaving conservatism, leaving the Republican Party, and opening one's eyes to the way that our nation has treated black and brown people, black people specifically. Is important. I, it's super, I mean, it really is a, it, to say it's an eye opener for me is, is an understatement because speaking from a, from a, from a viewpoint of empathy and, and what would I do if treated like this? What would I do if my life consisted of being fucked with by the police? What would I do if I was part of a group that was systematically uh, disenfranchised, voter suppressed from, from day fucking one, from the jump? And it really will open your eyes to, to beating this the the drum of of the the bad metaphor, but it really should. We we went to another museum with some people we've known for years, 
and had a conversation with them about about these issues. And they they see it a little differently, I think. I think he kind of came around to the what I was saying. Well, they're also from, well, one person where we're from in Idaho. Yeah. And I that's another thing I was going to credit the museum is they take on the founding fathers in the way that they should, right? In those displays, Thomas Jefferson does not get a pass. And I think depending especially on where you live uh, in the country and what the community is like, right, where you live, how you grow up and what you're told about history can vary. Absolutely. Depending on geography, yeah. depending on location, depending on who's teaching it, depending on the textbook. I mean, there's so many things that play a role, right? And you see articles from like ProPublica and things like that that have done investigations on textbooks and how they are biased in certain states like Texas, right? Sure, yeah. And I, I, c- coming from Idaho... Right. That's a mark against us already and what we were likely taught about certain historical issues. But then also for me, growing up in a white supremacist household, right, uh, being told the Holocaust didn't happen, uh, being taught that Hitler was actually a super cool guy. And yeah. here's the pictures in the house of him and we admire him. That's obviously going to uh color your perspective when you're growing up. Right. And that's what's so important about taking the time to continue learning, right? And it, it requires a certain amount of unlearning too, right? Unlearning, relearning. I, I think unlearning is more important than the learning. Right. I mean, it, it's it's a critical element. Yeah, and so you were talking about this conversation that we had with the people we met up with. And I think it it's always difficult to have these conversations because you start being met with some resistance, right? Where he wasn't fully accepting the race issues that you were presenting, right? Well, especially when... A little bit more personal responsibility-ish. For sure, but also especially related to our founding fathers. Right. And he took the view that, oh, well, back then they didn't know. Right, right. Slavery was just the way of the world. They didn't have any other way to look at it, which Which I pushed back. Absolutely false. Right. And I'm close enough to this individual that I was like, nah, nah, that you're, that's fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Because John Adams... I don't think he would need to be close to somebody to say that, by the way. <laughs> Samuel, well, I mean, to have it well received. Yeah, yeah, sure. Samuel Adams, Ben Franklin, so many people who were founding fathers were abolitionists from the start, from the fucking jump. Right. Even Thomas Jefferson. Even Thomas Jefferson wrote copious amounts about the liberty of man and understood and admitted that slavery was a scourge on mankind that it wasn't just to be done that it was antithetical to the principles laid out in the declaration of independence he even said that so it's you can't just going off his fucking word anyway i'm uh, going off on a on a on a on a, on a whole well, separate tangent here. Well, yeah, but the point is, right, uh, Continue continuing to learn is yeah. really the core of it. And I think for some people, they think of vacation and they're like, yeah, I don't want to go to museums, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but DC is really the place to do that because most of them are free, right? Yeah. And it was nice because we got into the African American History Museum with your, your veteran card. 
my veteran card. Yeah. My ID. Yeah. It's an identification. I guess it's a card. Yeah. Well, I mean, really what you did was you showed your bird ball an anchor tattoo and then we got in. So That's didn't, all even, it didn't even need a veteran card. Um, so we also went to the portrait. Like, Look, lady, bird ball and anchor. <laughs> we also went to the portrait uh, museum, like you talked about, the portrait gallery museum, whatever, and saw the Obama portraits. Yeah. But you also cried in that museum too <laughs> well and i hadn't mentioned that i cried i said i got emotional but yes i i'm the guy who cries in museums now okay apparently. well when we talk about getting emotional what we mean is we cry okay? i cried yeah so you cried when you saw a painting of an american indian yeah um with a american flag around him that's right wrapped in in an upside down and i'm getting emotional again in an upside down american flag again Another situation where we as America have treated horrifically an entire population of people to the point of fucking genocide. If that's not something to get emotional over, and I know you're not shitting on me for for crying. Yeah, not at all. It, it just... It's what it is. I, you know, I'm... Uh, same thing with, with the African American History and Culture Museum. It was... It was uh, it's an emotional experience if you go over the op- if you go there with an open mind and an open heart mm-hmm. to learn and experience and tr- and try to have some semblance of even the most modicum amount of fucking empathy. Right. And we- but that but you're right. It was a beautiful thing that the National Portrait Museum which I'd never been to. Yeah, it was awesome. Unbelievable. Yeah, very much worth your time. And we also went and toured the uh, Senate gallery, right? Is that what it's called? You go to the Senate gallery. That's right. Senate and, and the House. And the House. Which, and, I, which was nice because you got to see where I used to work. Yeah. And you actually started chatting up one of the guys and like knew all of the people who still work there. Yeah. Still work there, although they have like promoted and they work in different places and stuff yeah, now. Yeah. But it was cool to watch you interact with him and, and talk about all that. And you talk, also talk and shop. Yeah. You also started giving a tour to a man who was from England. And that was interesting. That did happen. He actually did credit you. He's like, wow, you should give tours here. <laughs> um, but that was cool because we, we got the tour through Harley Ruda's uh, office. That's right. And while we were sitting in his office, he wasn't there. The It was a holiday weekend, so they were on recess for the week. And they were getting calls from constituents. You know, you call and uh, complain. Air your grievances. Yes. And that's what was happening. And we heard people in the background talking about the number of calls that they were receiving. Because, unfortunately, Harley Ruda, our congressman, endorsed Mike Bloomberg for yeah. president. Early on. Yeah, almost right away, yeah, honestly. Like which, fucking, come on, dude. Which, what what the hell is that? Yeah. And we need to get him on the show so I can grill him about it a little bit. Yeah, we're... He we're, deserves a little grilling. Yeah, we're disappointed. We are disappointed he wasn't there, so we couldn't talk to him about it. But we were very happy to, to hear that they were getting all kinds of calls about it. That's great. Well, what was great is we heard in the back... Like, it, Well, what's weird about his staff is that it's not like... It's like they didn't know there's like a the yeah. sound travels. Yeah. 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 Because they and were we like cussing. Them. and Yeah. We heard the F-bomb a couple times, but also just lamenting that so many calls were coming in. Yeah. And listen, 
this, this is a DC office, so everybody has their own particular political sway about them. It's not like they just adopt the congressman's attitudes and 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 and, and views, right? And I'm sure that many of them were like, "God damn it, Harley!" Yeah. Yeah. Bringing down all this bullshit on us, right. man. Making we didn't our life hear difficult. that. Yeah. We didn't hear that specifically, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, another uh, milestone that we achieved while we were in D.C. was we tried those scooters that everyone hates and throws into rivers. <laughs> you sure did. And uh, I <laughs> fell. I fell on mine. Almost in the middle of an intersection. You busted your ass on one of those I, little scooters. My ass hurt for days, and you were unconvinced mm-hmm. that you had that you that your jeans were not torn. Yeah, I f- I thought that I for sure ripped my jeans. I mean, I fell on my ass on the scooter, and luckily <laughs> you're not going super fast. I mean, what's the maximum speed? Speed? Uh, well. Faster for you than me, because, you know, they only carry so much weight, but... Yeah, so I think what happened was, is I, I I had just gotten on it, and I was still figuring it out, and we had to stop, and I think I accidentally hit the gas yeah. rather than the brake. There's some hand-eye coordination action that's going on. Thank you, and I put my foot down, and then that I just slipped and fell onto the scooter. Right in front of a cop. Yeah, it was it was more a bruised ego situation yeah. than anything else. Although my ass did hurt for days. So, go ahead. We're just gonna we're gonna power through the coughs, Brittany Page. Okay, so I just I survived and everything's fine Tri- now. Trip was great. Great food. Oh, we got to we got to meet IRL. Yeah, Team Ian. We did. Friend of the program, multi-time guest, mm-hmm. Team Ian. And that was a lot of fun. You know, it's it's always nice. We, I think that I followed Ian on Twitter 10 years ago. And we have never met in real life up until this DC trip. Yeah. So this is someone that I have followed for 10 years. I think we talked about it the first time that we had him on. We kind of took a, a similar progression, specifically as it relates to the atheist community. And in the beginning of our connection on Twitter, really being gung-ho, um, staunch atheists, and now like moving away and seeing all the flaws that exist within the community. And... It's been interesting just to follow Ian's evolution yeah, yeah. on Twitter. Evolution. But it's nice because you never know if you're going to meet someone that you only know online and if they're going to be a normal person And or then not. you meet them and they're a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah not the case with Team Ian. No, I yeah, mean, good, we, good we, we spent like two hours with him and we were bummed that that's all we had. Yeah, And for sure. it was like we've been well, friends he, for 10 years. He just started a new highfalutin job in the D.C., so, you yeah. know, he'd... Uh, Got to wake up early and go to his his real job. Right. And good for him. Good for him. Absolutely. We also want to give a shout out to Robin in D.C. because we got to see her. Yeah. Another another listener meetup. Yeah. And within the next week or so, we're going to be announcing another trip because we got invited to give a talk. We're not going to give a lot of deets right now, but we are until going... Until it's locked down. Until it's locked down, but we're going to give some deets here in about a week, so look for that. And, and throw out an invite to everybody if you're yeah. in the area. Yeah, and if you can make it, that would be great. If you can't, why are you betraying us like that? And also, just yeah, hold on. Yeah. We, we don't have the... We can't give you all the deets well, I'm now. just trying to generate the excitement. Brittany's just and the creating suspense. buzz. Yeah. She's just teasing the tease, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah, that's what you do. Good times. Yes. All right. So, no, let's talk about coronavirus before we move on. Oh, please, let's talk about coronavirus. Because everyone's freaking out. Yes. Everyone is terrified. Y'all talk, baby! 
That guy especially. Yeah. <laughs> is he in a wind tunnel? What's going on? He was in a wind tunnel. Let's see. No, oh, no. He's back out of it. Mm. Just that just that quick. Perfect. So everyone's freaking out about it. New cases appearing every day. We had the first death in the United States. Yeah. And here are some things to keep in mind. Okay. Stop buying face masks is going to be the number one thing that you want to do. They're not helping you. They're not helping you unless... You're a medical professional. Unless you're a medical professional, unless you're taking care of someone who might be infected, and then it would only be helping other people if you are infected and you're wearing the mask. Aside from that, if the mask is not tested and approved as a legitimate N95 respirator by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health... Then it doesn't matter. Was it, was that right off the top of your head? Absolutely. It's it's not going to protect you. Okay, so it doesn't matter. Get it off. You don't need it. You Medical just, professionals you just look need like it. A fucking goofball walking around. Medical professionals need it, not you. Again, oh, and, unless and, you're infected no, or listen, unless you're taking care of someone who's infected. Here's the other thing: is that when you hoard those, that means there are fewer masks available to those who actually need them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually, these like mask manufacturers have been raising the price of the masks. It should, it should be criminal. I mean, it should be like gouging people for water pricing mm -hmm. uh, after a hurricane, after a natural disaster. Yeah. It's very disturbing. But here's the thing that's most concerning about coronavirus is that we have to rely on our fellow humans to know how to do things correctly. Yeah. And that's really where my faith is non-existent. In 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 that sentence, let me unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Are you saying that we have to rely on our fellow humans to know how to wash their fucking hands correctly? Yeah, or even just not cough into the air. I was sitting next to a guy on the airplane who just, he had some coughs, and he just decided to cough it right into the air the, yeah, that, the whole time on a five-hour flight. That motherfucker is probably why the last two weeks went down the way they did. The, the whole time on a five-hour flight, I'm sitting next to this guy, and he just keeps coughing into the air. I mean, it was remarkable. And I see it all the time when I'm in airports especially. Right. And I've pointed it out to you multiple times because I start yelling when I see it. Like it just horrifies me that I just omit a yell right from my mouth hole. You omit yeah. a yell yeah. right from your mouth hole. <laughs> so, I don't think people omit yells. Oh, I'm sorry. Emit. <laughs> Even emit. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Okay. Um so the the proper thing to do, right? is to cover your cough, but not with your hands. You need to cough into your arm. Like the Dracula. Mm -hmm. Like the like you lean in like you're going to cover your face with your cape. Like, yeah, ah, ah. Right. And then you cough into your elbow area. Right. And you don't just generally want to flail your arm about in the direction of your mouth hole cough. You want to... Your mouth hole cough? Right. You want to directly <laughs> cover the mouth hole, okay? Yeah. So that if someone is watching you, they should not be able to see into your open mouth hole. Do we understand? Yeah, you're not doing the old dumb and dumber where he puts the banaca, he sprays the, <laughs> the, the air freshener in his mouth, but he misses his mouth. Yeah. You don't want to do that in reverse where the cough goes off into the air. Mm -hmm. You're trying to cough into the cloth of your arm. Listen... Our audience is smart enough to know, I think. Oh, well, so anyway, here we go. And in addition, when you're washing your hands, right? 15 seconds, folks. I think it's 20 seconds. 
You've been saying 15. I'm going off of what you say when you talk to people. I'm not always right. So I think it's 20. Wow. And But, but the main part is... Let's just go 10 minutes. Let's just go 10 minutes. Don't do that. The main part well, is... Why are you going up? Well, you might ruin the lipid layer and then... Anyway. Oh, I want to talk about that. Okay, what? The fat layer. There's a lipid layer around this particular virus that is a lipid layer. It's like a fat layer. And you're washing that away and it kills the virus. That's why soap is so important, and it is a valid first defense and a, a, a real-world weapon in our arsenal against germs and disease. Yeah, so when I worked at the mental hospital, it every sink that you went to had a sign posted on how to properly wash your hands, right? And you turn on the faucet, and you wet your hands, and you get the soap, and you scrub them, scrub in between your fingers, underneath your fingernails, right? You rinse your hands, and then you grab a towel, and you turn off the water with the towel. Now, why are you doing that? Well, because you just turned the water on with your dirty filth hand. And if you turn your back if you turn back off the water with your dirty filth hand, then there's no point in t- with the washing that you just did. Everything's connected. Brittany Everything's Page. connected. And <laughs> these are just important reminders. OK, so if you're worried about the coronavirus, but you're someone who walks around coughing into the air at the airport, I don't want to hear from you. Okay. Yeah. Get your behavior sorted out. And then and only then can you be a valid complainer when it comes to coronavirus. Yes. Okay. We are the arbiters of whether or not you can you are a valid complainer. Are we not? Well, apparently we are. We are. So yes, we are. Correct. Absolutely. Is there anything else related to how to wash your hands that you'd like to cover, Brittany Page? And I know I'm making a little bit of a joke, but it's very serious. It is very serious. That if you'd like to curb the tide and play your part of of how to uh, brush back against infection, then this is what you fucking do. Yeah. So just stay safe out there. Don't get too paranoid. Make sure you have your flu shot. And uh, hopefully we'll all make it through this. And don't listen. Don't. Don't get caught up in the 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 paranoia and the upheaval of of oh my god this is the end of the world it's not we're going to get through this stay positive we've got scientists that are not fully uh being held back by the Trump administration Am I being positive or not? I, mean, I don't know. Goddamn, it's really good. You know, I'm taking a different turn. It's a bummer, but, yeah. you know, um, we're, we're going to get through this. Yes. This isn't a, a complete catastrophe. Mm-hmm. We, we've, got, uh, we've got mechanisms in place that are going to be uh, brought to bear. Yeah. So, all right. We love you guys again. Thank you. Now let's get to some listener communication. This, of course, is going to be a big show. So, uh, last time on the show, the last several shows, we've been talking about... Uh, Harvey Weinstein, which, by the way, no longer an alleged rapist. No longer do I have to be admonished by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly Brittany Page to protect ourselves legally and call him an alleged sexual assaulter. Because Harvey Weinstein is now a convicted a vile, fucking, convicted rapist of women. And here's some voicemails concerning consent. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Gilly from Colorado. I'm calling about Harvey Weinstein and Chewy, whatever she is. 
and her comments that she would never put herself in that situation, that signing consent forms before engaging in sexual activity. Um, hate to break it to them, but uh, consent can be revoked at any time. You can change your mind at any time. I don't care if he's about to come inside you. You can say, oh, no, not feeling this anymore. You need to get out. And he needs to abide. And vice versa. For men, too, you could be going down on a guy, and all of a sudden, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You have to stop blowing him. <laughs> like, that's just how it is. You can stop. You don't have to continue. And if the other person makes you continue or continues without your consent, it's rape. It's sexual assault. And that's all there is to it. Unfortunately, that's just how we are. And there have been times. I've been having a really good time, and something goes weird, and all of a sudden, it's like, this is not good. I don't feel this anymore. I want to stop. And my partner, I've always been very lucky with my partners. My current partner always understands, and we stop. Sometimes I'm able to pick it back up, and we try again, and that's great, but you can stop. And so signing consent forms is dumb. It's just dumb um, because you're allowed to say no whenever and however because things change constantly. Um, I give my consent for you to play this on the air, and I am not going to revoke it as far as you know. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Well, that's part of the leaving the message is giving consent because it says that when you call mm -hmm. by leaving a message for I Dada with Dalimore, you yeah. leave consent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I I think it's Jilly or Julie. I don't know, but I love you. And thank you for that voicemail because that was hilarious and beautiful and fantastic and, and exactly factual. Exactly the reason that we take listener communication. Yeah. Because listen, we have conversations all the time and there will be things where like I have a list in my head of things I want to cover to address and then we'll only get to like two of those things, right? And so yeah. I know there are people out there who are like, what the fuck? Why didn't she say this? Why isn't he saying this? Well, because we're having a conversation in real time and sometimes conversations get derailed by other topics. And yeah, and that's this what is, happens. And this is what I'm talking about with listener communication where we want to hear from you because we know that you're sitting there listening and you're like, okay, this is a variable that's not being considered. Yeah. They're like, you motherfuckers are not mentioning this. Yeah. And that's what we want, right? Because we know that we don't have all the deets. Yeah. And we need you. Or we're skipping over the deets. Skipping I've got over the all deets. the deets. Oh. I have all the deets. Mm. Sometimes I just, I leave them on the cutting room floor, as it were. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't know that I've ever suspected that you have to stop blowing him would ever be a sentence that was uttered on the program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. Anyway, thank you, Julie. We appreciate it very much. Uh, moving on, same topic, consent. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. This is Rebecca from Atlanta. I have a few thoughts on how we're going to defense attorneys appear as long as daily. Surprise, surprise. I'm so fucking angry listening to her voice. I think there's a huge problem with her using the phrase, put myself in that kind of situation. Because saying it like that implies any level of consent, which is antithetical to the definition of sexual harassment or assault. You do not put yourself in that situation. You are put in that situation. 
Whether you are with somebody you know or don't know, the moment the other party decides to attack you, your will is tossed to the side. She speaks of walking into a man's home like, what did you expect? Consent is not the absence of a no, it is the presence of an informed yes. And to throw your toxic words into the public like that, to feed the bacteria that is those negative thoughts that anyone who has experienced this has had, those, what if I did more to avoid this, or the, maybe it is my fault, to do anything to solidify those victim blame backwards trains of thought is downright despicable. It disregards the true nature of an issue that at its core is about dehumanizing and objectifying people, and worse than putting a bandit on a bullet wound, is actually ripping open a scar just to really rub some salt and lemon juice in it. <laughs> Saying the burden should be equal is ignoring the fact that a person does not become a victim until they are attacked, and to suggest that any one individual should be expected to walk through the world constantly arming themselves for the mere possibility of being a soldier is completely absurd. You are in control of your own safety as much as you are in control of your own actions. The lack of accountability of abusers is a horrifying effect of telling people that they are at fault for the actions of others. Fuck that. Fuck her. But hey, at least she can count her blessings since she's never been put in that kind of situation. As always, love you guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. You are beautiful humans. We all appreciate everything you do. Bye. That was awesome. And thank you, Rebecca. Yeah, we we love it. Thank you so much for that. Um, all of what you said is very important. It's a very good reminder for everybody. I think that Donna Rotuno, I believe is her name, the the attorney for Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. I think Ju- it was either Julie or Jilly. Sorry. She said something about Tui. Yeah. And Megan Tui right. is a reporter for the New York Times. That worked with Jody Cantor to publish yeah. the information so about Harvey Weinstein. That's where the... I don't want to malign Megan Tui. She's no. doing yeoman's work. Right, right. It is Donna... Rotuno. Donna Rotuno, right. Yeah. And I think universally disliked. Yeah. Well, you know, she is a defender of convicted rapists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not alleged. Yeah, no, no longer alleged. You're yeah. not. Listen, you're you're looking at me like I have some sort of. I'm not looking at you. Emotional like that. attachment to allegedly. I only have an emotional attachment to allegedly. To protecting the show legally. All right, that's it. it. Let me say this about Re- what Rebecca said: is that you don't put yourself in that position. You are put in that position, and by virtue of the fact that you're the victim, you're put in that position. It just, that entire train of thought, I don't know why it still bothers me this many episodes later that we listen to Donna Rotuno. I don't Um, don't even think she really believes it. I don't think that she genuinely believes You think it's just illegal bullshit. I think she, yeah. I I don't think she really believes that because I, I think she's an intelligent person and I don't think an intelligent person believes that. I think it's just, she, she went on all these shows and made all these arguments to present the case out there to the public and she admitted as much that it that it wasn't so much as what Harvey Weinstein would find in terms of a verdict in the courtroom but what kind of verdict he would find from the general public oh yeah and the essentially court of public opinion right forever being a social pariah right and that which he deserves 
to motherfucking be. Right. And that was more of her concern. And so I don't think she genuinely believes this argument. And that's not me trying to defend her. I think it's just as terrible to go on all these shows and make an argument that you don't believe in because you're defending a rapist. It's maybe more morally reprehensible that you know and you argue the other side than just not knowing. Right. Right. And I. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn. (laughs) Fucking pathetic. Yeah. All right. One last call. This one is uh, more about the the politics of the day. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. Jesse, I hope you're feeling better. I hope you've successfully unfucked yourself. (laughs) Brittany, I hope you don't catch it. Um, Just a question for you guys. I'm I'm listening to the results of the uh, South Carolina primary, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about moderates and radical and election electability. Um, on the news of this coronavirus and the way it's been handled, I feel like we're at a precipice where um, it's a great time for a political system to be uh, shaken up and, and kind of given a kind of swift kick in the buttocks, if you will. Wow, and I feel like <laughs> fancy. I know ultimately getting rid of the, the, the white supremacist regime in the, in the Oval Office is, is super important, and I get that, but... I feel like we're at a precipice right now where we can really change a lot of some of the broken stuff that's intrinsic to the system. And, you know, I will, I will support anybody that is running against the, the Nazi in chief. But it, what cost, right? Is, is it, is it not important to make the radical change now? Or are, or we, is it okay to be okay with just more of the broken system for four more years and then eight more years and then another four more years? I'm a, I'm a little bit torn here. I, I want, you know, I'm a, I'm a Warren person, and, you know, it doesn't seem like she's going to be, but I feel like other than Warren and and Sanders, we're just getting different flavors of the same. Uh, and, and i just curious to see what your perspectives uh what both your perspectives on that and, and uh yeah this is chris from atlanta sorry um anyway uh hope everybody's doing well hope to hear the next episode soon um but get well first because it's it's a race i mean a marathon not a sprint whatever anyway uh yeah thanks bye very nice well thank you for saying your name at the end there because that's always a good reminder for us thank you chris in atlanta two atlanta calls yeah, to, that's right, to Atlanta calls. And Chris said I, he hopes that I don't get sick too late. I was actually sick before the D.C. trip. I still have a, a cough. I can't, I can't... Lingering. I can't laugh without getting, like, sludge stirred up. It's like you got a smoker. You yeah. got a smoker's cough. Yeah, I had a sultry voice there for a while. So I, <laughs> I love this question, and it's actually, it reminds me of a Patreon supporter who recently deleted their pledge, and in the exit survey said that they deleted their pledge because they can't get down with Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> and I read that, and I thought, oh my dear God, what did they think that we said? Yeah, listen, if I, if, if, I am not doing my job as a communicator. Yeah, absolutely not. If you've watched any of my YouTube videos yeah. and listened to five minutes of this motherfucking podcast yeah. and come away thinking that I am a Mike Bloomberg oh guy. Oh my God. Yeah. that's. Are you goddamn kidding me? No. And where that person may have 
gone astray in their their listening is when we had a conversation about about vote blue no matter who and i understand that that is complicated right because if someone like bloomberg who is a racist and a sexist gets the nomination and it is bloomberg versus trump we're in a terrible situation yeah but the thing is an easy situation because which one is going to do the most damage mm -hmm. it, it really is a it's a control, it's a damage control situation. Yeah, so then it goes into that question. But really, that's why we're using the platform that we have now to educate people about who Michael Bloomberg is to encourage people to stop supporting him in the primary. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And that's really been, I think, Jesse, your goal in many of the videos that you've done, in what we've talked about on the show, in the content that we share to the I Doubt It with Dollamore podcast Facebook page, on the at I Doubt It podcast Twitter page, right? We're trying to get the information out about Michael Bloomberg so that people know this is someone who has a long history of racist views. He's a sexist. I mean, he he is very similar to Donald Trump in many ways. Uh, he's He's a slightly more benevolent Donald Trump, and that's not fucking saying much. Yeah, so... Please, for the love of God, if that is who you're supporting, please stop. Also, please, for the love of God, if you think we're fucking supporting Michael Bloomberg, come on, listen to the show. Yeah. And so, Chris, he really asked, at what cost, right? At what cost are we going to continue to do this? What I think he was arguing is a vote vote blue no matter who situation, right? Um, And he talked about more of the broken system for four more years, and and who is the candidate that really is going to bring the change, right? I think that's why we have encouraged people to vote their conscience in the primary, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than making a strategic kind of assessment, right, this early on, because if I think you were to if if you were to go there, right, and you were to listen to everybody, listen to all the scare tactics you are naturally going to be drawn into arguments supporting moderate candidates. Right? Like Joe Biden. Like, oh, he's he's proven he worked with Barack Obama. He's the guy. He's, he's our only hope kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. And in the primary is the time where we're supposed to be having those discussions. And even on the Facebook page, people would comment when we would share something negative about Mike Bloomberg. And they would say, isn't this eating our own? Shouldn't we not be doing this in case he's the nominee? No. Well, one, let me say, I don't know that Mike Bloomberg is our own. I've been a Democrat longer than fucking Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is a Republican who just registered as a Democrat, who's always been a Republican for the most part. I mean that's a weird well, thing to say always for the most part but well he he ran New York City for 12 years as a republican. Well and the point is that sorry no this is the time to be having these discussions and encouraging other Absolutely. people to vote for the person that like Chris said will bring about the change that we're looking for, right? Can I should I now I want to make an announcement. Okay. Brittany and I went out to vote today. We did. California's doing this new kind of system. Well, where... at least Orange County is. Okay, Orange County is doing this new kind of system That's right. where we've had like a week to vote. They opened these voting centers like yeah. a week ago. And you can vote up until Tuesday. So... 
Let's make a thing out of it. Mm-hmm, I right? guess. Sure. So Brittany and I went down to vote today. And I don't know if you want to say who you voted for. That's fine if you don't. Um, I have decided to do the strategic thing. Because up to this point, I have supported Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, I've only given money to the campaign of, of Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren is what is... That's where it's at. I think that's that she is what we need. But I don't see a path forward for Elizabeth Warren in this election. Unless something magical happens that I can't foresee politically, I don't see Super Tuesday being a big a big move for her. So I voted for and I am going to be supporting Bernie Sanders going forward. For, for many reasons, Medicare for all, uh, I think that there are, there are, um, it, well, let's put it this way. Do I think Bernie Sanders is the perfect candidate? No. No one is the perfect candidate other than me. <laughs> but I'm not running, everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, it, but, but Bernie Sanders has what it takes. I think Bernie Sanders... Uh, it not only has what it takes policy-wise, he has what it takes momentum-wise, he has what it takes support-wise, and also he has what it takes passion-wise. I've talked about his health problems, and that is still a problem for me. But of all the candidates who show some ability to win, they're all old. Joe Biden is old. Donald Trump is old. Bernie Sanders is old. Mike Bloomberg is old. Pete, which we'll get to, has dropped out. Elizabeth Warren is the youngest among them, and she's 70 years old. So in my view, Bernie Sanders is the path forward to beat Donald Trump and put our country back onto a track of progress for the decades to come. So we voted. Yeah, I voted for Elizabeth Warren. Which I do not fault you. I think that's a a solid move. Well, and, and here I really struggled with it. And even after I did it, I've been struggling with it because I feel like your position is a fair one. However, I still struggle with this idea of people saying that Warren doesn't have a path to the nomination, ultimately being a self-fulfilling prophecy wherein they fail to make it possible for her to have a path to the nomination. Yeah, I, and, get, I get that. And Elizabeth Warren is polling in second in California behind Bernie Sanders with 17%. And I think that it's it's just it's going to be hard right it's going to be yeah. hard for people to move out of spaces where they feel comfortable right to to take risks and imagine that other voters can do the same right and i think with warren that's where a lot of people come down is is this woman going to be able to move a plurality of voters the way that Bernie Sanders will or Joe Biden will, right? And people ultimately say no. And so they don't vote for her, right? So I don't know. It's tough. But I, I, like Marissa Baradaram, former guest of the show, was very happy to cast my vote for Elizabeth Warren. And I don't fault you for that. And I, I, listen, I I admire Bernie as well. It was a tough decision, but 
that I went with my heart. And well, listen, <laughs> I just I look at past performance, and past performance is indicative of future results. And she's unfortunately she did not catch fire the way I thought she would, and that's why I voted for Bernie. I, I would love to have um, cast a, a purely, and I'm not saying this is what you did, but I. I, I would have loved to have cast a vote for Elizabeth Warren in hopes that she would um, be victorious, let's say, triumphant in California. But I just, I don't, knowing what I know about politics and the way shit runs through my mind, I didn't see that as being what was going to happen with her winning. And I, I, I don't see that she's going to win a single state on on, on, on Super Tuesday. And because of that, I think I needed to give Bernie every little bit. My single vote of momentum, I think, is gonna it's gonna matter. Because mm-hmm. remember, back in 2016, I voted for Bernie in the primary. I believe you did too. Mm-hmm. He didn't win California. Hillary Clinton won California, mm-hmm. and I don't want it to be a situation where Joe Biden wins California. Oh, Bernie's gonna win. California. Edges him and edges him closer to a win uh, to the nomination. Yeah. We're already probably going to have a contested nomina- nomination. I mean, I see what's happening here in terms of I'm going to be burned at the stake if that does happen. <laughs> You're really laying the <laughs> the foundation How here. How dare you, sir? Anyway, I know that this can get very contentious, right? And I would hope that the listeners of this show can have conversations that are metered and reasonable on this issue. Absolutely, please. And so at least, right, we uh, are divided, I guess. So the people who love Bernie will very be, be very happy with, with your choice and well, of course, be a very lot of unhappy them, with my choice. That is because a lot of Bernie people are fucking psychos who don't see any other side, and that is a goddamn bummer. I am now a Bernie guy, and I'm <laughs> saying it, so you're going to be attacking your own, you fucking weirdos. Okay. Not great. I will be the reasonable one out there uh-huh. in the YouTube sphere. Mm-hmm. It bothers me, yeah, these I- weirdos. I've had people attack me in YouTube comments mm-hmm. who are Bernie or bust fucking freaks. Mm-hmm. Not great. <laughs> Not goddamn great. Anyway, mm-hmm. here we are. Mm-hmm. 50 plus minutes in, Brittany Page. Well, it's been a while. Not even, I know, it's going to be a big show. Yeah. Going to be a big show. Mm-hmm. Shall we get to the mid-roll? We should. There we go. Permission granted. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and Good-looking listeners like you, by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We would like to thank two PayPal supporters. All right. Rudolph Rudolph. in, in Germany. Germany. And, and Susan F. Susan F. And then we would also like to thank Andrew for becoming our latest Patreon supporter. Andrew. Yes. Now, as those Patreon supporters know, we had to cancel one of the hangouts this month because of Jesse's illness. 
<laughs> and we are sorry to the to the call that didn't get canceled because it actually ended with Jesse in a coughing fit, and we had to cancel. Yeah. Well, we had to we had to exit the call early. So not su- super early, yes. but a little early. So anyway, the March hangouts will be on. Okay. And we, again, thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us as we get our health issues as, sorted out. As I convalesce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you're alive, Jesse D. We're glad you're alive. Well, that's that's a nice sentiment. It is. That you're glad that I'm alive. Yes. <laughs> Which, I guess, imports that you're uh, you're glad I'm not dead. You know who else is sick? Popeye is a little Popeye sick. Popeye is sick. Yeah. yeah. He is waking up in the middle of the night coughing, and it's terrifying. And You get up, get out of bed, walk to him, and shine your light to make sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's terrifying. Because you love the dog. Yeah, it's terrifying yeah. to listen to that. So hopefully he gets better, too. Yeah. Are we soliciting prayers and thoughts from the audience? They are free to do whatever they want to do. That is true. Yeah. All right, everybody. Listen, we'd love to hear from you as these callers and emailers have done. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Help us move the conversation forward. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, speaking of Elizabeth Warren, yes. Brittany Page. Yes, she had a nice little exchange with Chris Matthews over on MSNBC after this most recent debate in South Carolina. Yeah, so after the... Well, there's been two debates since since uh, since we've been on the show, doing the show. Yeah, a lot of debates. Goddamn, we've missed a lot. Yeah. And it bums me out because I wanted to... I wanted to Really talk about how Elizabeth Warren eviscerated Mike Bloomberg. Oh yeah! During his very first debate. Yeah, it was fantastic uh, in Nevada. It was great. <laughs> it was really, really good. Beautiful. And, I mean, really, Bernie tried, and he just—I don't know that he has that attack dog mentality that that you really need. Because he tried to say a few things, and then she was like, "Oh no, no, no." I got this, bro. Right. We got a glimpse of... And then she fucking attacked. What a beautiful side it would be to have her and Trump on a debate stage. It really? Really? Yeah. She would be, mm-hmm. I think, the ideal candidate to smash the head of Donald Trump with a fucking metaphorical brick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No? Too much? Uh, it's a lot, but <laughs> yeah. It's just the way you are. So anyway, the second debate in South Carolina, Uh the same kind of thing happened. Right. Where she's demanding he release women from NDAs because there are multiple non-disclosure agreements that have been uh, crafted by Mike Bloomberg for his many sexual harassment, his many locker room talk type of jokes. Right. So that was kind of a carryover from the first debate where Elizabeth Warren encouraged him, put pressure on him embarrassed him to the point of yeah, him I having say, to... <laughs> I wouldn't say encouraged him. He didn't like, I encourage you, Mike. It yeah. was really like, hey, motherfucker. Right. Yeah. Yes. And encouraged him to let the women out of, like you said, the NDAs. And so after the debate, I think his campaign realized, oh shit, we can't really get out of this. We're going to have to release yeah. women from the NDAs. And so 
he released women from three NDAs, and I heard his campaign manager talking about how the reason that it's three is that there are three in which Mike Bloomberg is the named... Specific individual name. Right. Whereas the other NDAs that exist are a part of the Bloomberg company. And so it's not really his By purview. By the way, that's what they claim. We don't know what the facts are because they have not released the details. And so what happened in this most recent debate was Elizabeth Warren highlighting the discrimination cases that exist in Bloomberg's history, specifically related to this one instance of pregnancy discrimination where one of his employees was pregnant and she alleges that Michael Bloomberg said to kill it. Right, made a kill it comment about her baby. And this allegation was made under oath. Okay. Not only that, someone corroborated it. A former employee who's a journalist also said, I was there. I heard him say it. Right. A former Bloomberg employee confirmed to the Washington Post that he had heard Bloomberg make the remark. Because she wanted uh, maternity leave or something was happening related to that. And he was like, well, just kill it. Right, which, which, by the way, meets Bloomberg's standard of proof that he once articulated related to whether or not he would believe rape claims when he said that he would only believe a rape claim if there was, quote, an unimpeachable third-party witness, uh, right? Fucking so, motherfucker. So here we go with there being... Wants to be president of the United States. He needs an unimpeachable third-party witness in order to convict on a rape claim. That's your Democratic nominee, everybody. Well, no, not if we have anything to say about it, which God is which is why damn. we're talking about this. But here's the thing. Even though Harvey Weinstein was found guilty and you have this momentous decision for the Me Too movement, there still exists out there powerful men who cannot fathom that a man would lie about his behavior. And one of them happens to have a very prominent position at MSNBC, and his name is Chris Matthews. Do you believe that the former mayor of New York said that to a pregnant employee? Well, a pregnant employee sure said that he did. Why shouldn't I believe her? You know, I'm just really tired of this world. This one is personal for me. It really is. But you believe he's that kind of person who did that. Look, pregnancy discrimination is real. And these... We have gone on and on and on where people say, oh, I can't really believe the woman. Really? Why not? Mayor Bloomberg has non-disclosure agreements for who knows how many women. And it's not just the one. The whole point is, how can you actually trust someone who will not just say, look, I'm going to wave on non-disclosure on sexual harassment and discrimination. Yeah. Anybody who has a story to tell can come tell. Sure, I agree story. with everybody deserves a credible response when they make a, a, a charge like that. My question about him, you believe he's lying. I believe the woman. You believe he's which lying. Which means he's not telling the truth. And why would he lie? Because just to protect himself. Yeah. And why would she lie? I mean, that's the question, Chris. Why do you was, assume that event. he's the guy? I just want to make sure you're clear about this. You're confident of your accusation. Look, all I know is what she said yeah. and what he said. And I've been on her end of it sure. in the sense right. of discrimination based on pregnancy. It happens all across this country and men all across this country say, oh, my gosh, he never would have said that. Really? Okay, let's talk about 
I love Chris Matthews' moment of silence oh, that he took there, right? I thought you were going to say I love Chris Matthews, because I fucking don't love this guy. I've not liked this guy since I worked with him on Capitol Hill, and he was the same smug motherfucker. Well, The Daily Show also has this montage going around of him just, like, commenting on women's appearances. Like, he had Aaron Burnett lean into the camera when she was working on his show. Yeah. And she was all confused. Like, is there something, like, on my face? Like, what's going on? And he just started talking about how beautiful what she a knockout yeah. she is. I mean, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying to be objectified in that way when you're trying to On do your live job. Live television. You're a professional person, and you're being reduced down to Aaron Burnett how hot has you are. a master's degree in economics. Yeah, she's smart as hell. Fucking so infuriating. Yeah. So anyway, back to this. He had no response when Elizabeth Warren asked, "And why would she lie?" Well, he great that you mentioned that because I isolated that clip. It is interesting to me, this is why people talk about Elizabeth Warren being too much of a pit bull, or she's too, oh, she's too angry. She's She was too nice here. She should have let him, she rushed to the next thing. Well, why would he do that? Just to cover himself? And then Elizabeth Warren says, well, why would she lie? Mm-hmm. Takes a beat. Mm-hmm. Should have taken several beats to let him answer. Mm-hmm. Instead, she let him off the hook. I believe the woman. You believe he's Which lying. means he's not telling the truth. And why would he lie? Because just to protect himself. Yeah. And why would she lie? I mean, that's the question, Chris. Too quickly. Too quickly she let him off the hook. Yeah, I agree. Although the the point is still taken. Chris Matthews is a dum-dum and couldn't respond in that moment. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. didn't have an answer. If he would have had an answer, he would have said it. And he didn't because he is a turd. There so, is no fucking answer. Right. So anyway, the other piece of this is when, when he says, so are you sure of your accusation? Yeah. I'm sorry, but it's not Elizabeth Warren's accusation against Mike Bloomberg. Again, it's the accusation of his former employee that was stated under oath and that has a witness corroborating the accusation. Yeah. So do you want to mention all that, Chris Matthews, or no? You want to talk about how Bernie Sanders is Hitler coming back and ruining all of our lives. by the way, he did this week. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd. And so he was left out, Chris Matthews, of the South Carolina primary coverage. Well, also because a GQ article was written mm-hmm. about how he sexually harassed a woman. Yeah, so he he may be the next person that is losing his and job. good fucking riddance. Let me tell you something. I had a lot of interactions over my time having worked on Capitol Hill. And one of my time, and I don't have any sexual harassment stuff because I'm a dude working with dudes. You mean you don't have stories about being sexually harassed? Yeah, I don't have that. I, I don't have, I'm not saying he sexually harassed anybody because I don't have any knowledge of that. But I, knew, I, I do know people's character. And let me tell you who Chris Matthews is. Chris Matthews is a don't you know who I am kind of guy. He's the kind of guy who says, oh, wait, don't you know that I'm Chris Matthews? Oh God! That's a that's a character strike for me. I I, I don't know. I, I never had a good experience working with Chris Matthews, working around Chris Matthews, interacting with Chris Matthews. So none of this shit surprises me at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Anyway, moving on into the into the, the the field of candidates, we mentioned briefly earlier, an hour or so ago. <laughs> the show has been. 
extended because we've been gone so goddamn long. Mm-hmm. Mayor Pete is no longer a candidate for president of the United States. This evening, he withdrew his candidacy, suspended his 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 run. He is supposed to be doing that. We haven't actually heard that he's doing that oh, okay. yet. Yeah, it was according to campaign aides that he is going to be doing that. But again, that hasn't happened officially yet. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. I'm just trying right, to right, be right. as factual right, as yeah, possible. Yeah. We, we might wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, no, that was just a weird email that got sent out. <laughs> the interesting thing to consider here is how many people have already voted for Pete Buttigieg. And Especially right, right here in California when we have early voting. Right. And I, can, I also know there's people in Arizona that I know have voted for Pete Buttigieg. And so now those votes are not going to someone who's in the they race. Are, they are lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder who he will endorse. I wonder what's yeah. happening behind the scenes that we are not aware of. All of that is quite scary to me. One thing I will say is that I was not a tremendous fan of Pete. And I certainly did not vote for him, obviously. I just talked about voting for Elizabeth Warren. But I do want to give credit where credit is due. He entered the race. He is a gay man. He has been very open about being a gay man. Yeah. And how wonderful for young kids that are a part of the LGBTQ community to see someone. Even adults. Yeah, even adults, right? Yeah. To see someone from their community have such tremendous success and to be unafraid, right? Yeah. To be open and and to be a leader. And with all of the negative shit that was said about him, right? Attacks from Rush Limbaugh. I mean, he knew what he would be up against, right? In terms yeah. of hateful people coming out there. Now That is bravery. Yeah, it is. And there was a clip in particular that I wanted to play since Pete Buttigieg is going to be leaving the race here. And it was a moment where he took a question from a nine-year-old in the audience. Zachary, age nine. And this is a really touching question. He says, thank you for being so brave. Would you help me tell the world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you. Well... I don't think you need a lot of advice from me on bravery. You seem pretty strong. To see you, it took me a long time to figure out how to tell even my best friend that I was gay, let alone to go out there and tell the world. And to see you willing to come to terms with who you are in a room full of a thousand people, thousands of people you've never met, that's, that's really something. So let me, tell you, let me tell you a couple things that might be useful. The, the first thing is that it won't always be easy, but that's okay, because you know who you are. And that's really important, because when you know who you are, uh, you have a center of gravity that can hold you together when all kinds of chaos is happening around you. That's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is that you'll never know who's taking their lead from you, who's watching you and deciding that they can be a little braver because you have been brave. When, 
when I was trying to figure out who I was, I was afraid that who I was might mean that I could never make a difference. And what wound up happening instead is that it's a huge part of the difference I get to make. I never could have seen that coming. And you'll never know whose life you might be affecting right now, just by standing here, right now. There's a lot of power in that. And the last thing I want you to know is, even if I can't promise it'll always be easy, I can promise you that I'm going to be rooting for you. So I I loved this moment, and not just for Zachary, the nine-year-old on stage who's receiving the message, but for anyone else who is in Zachary's position of looking to Pete and thinking he is so brave and wanting to be like him, right? Wanting to be out, wanting to be open, but still being afraid because of how it will be received by their parents or by society, whatever it might be. And hearing this message from Pete delivered to Zachary, but really to anyone who's willing to hear it. Absolutely. It's just such a beautiful moment. And for everything that people can criticize about Pete's positions and his candidacy and his previous record as mayor of South Bend, this is something that was important. And he really made history. Well, let let me say this about Pete. I have, um, early on, I was a fan of Pete. And then he slowly drifted to the middle, really tried to shore up that moderate support rather than stay the the progressive course. There was a pivot. He still calls himself a progressive, which I don't really get. But um, people have called into question his motivations, that he, he served like in some fake manner his country he he went to war just so he could run for president and i've always rejected that and i've always you know uh, came against that and, and and this is one of the reasons he's quitting now ahead of super tuesday which shows selflessness even if he's making an agreement with someone behind the scenes he is still Putting ego aside to suspend his presidential campaign. That's a fucking big thing. And I think he needs credit that he was running, I think, for the right reasons. Whether his position shifted or whatever, I think Pete Buttigieg is an honorable character. Not a manipulative one. And that's all. So good for him. Good for America. Good for every single gay or lesbian trans kid out there who hopes to serve their country. Yeah. In whatever sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And now feels like there is a pathway forward for them because they watch Pete. There is space for them to. Right. Uh, and, awesome. and not just in some nebulous way that Brittany and Jesse say, mm-hmm. but a real way because we've had someone make inroads right. to really make a difference and really run an actual campaign that picked up traction and could have been something. So that's great. So we did just talk about Mayor Bloomberg. Ugh, I hate even giving a guy a title. Are you doing Okay. 
What do you mean? Well, you seem to kind of be puttering out. Is it the illness that's kicking in? A little bit. Okay. You know, we're going we're gonna to drive ahead here. Okay. All right. Um, well, I, I want to play this thing that we have here about um, Mayor Bloomberg sitting down with, I keep calling him Mayor Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg sitting down with PBS. And they're asking him about, hey, listen, man, you've been running a lot of ads with, with Barack Obama. You're really sidling up to Obama, but you know, you, you didn't ever endorse him for president. And uh, you're really trying to cash in on that, uh, that Obama magic. What the fuck's the deal? Some of your television ads uh, in this campaign depict you as being very close with President Obama. And yet, there's no record of your having endorsed him in 2008. And it was only apparently in the final days of the campaign in 2012 when you endorsed well, him. It, 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 that's true. But if you take a look, in 2009, I was a big proponent of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Tester uh, gave speeches before the uh, National Conference of Mayors. Uh, urging the mayors all to get behind it. I didn't agree with everything that President Obama did. Nobody would agree with what any other person does 100% of the time. But I voted for him twice. I voted for Hillary. I spoke to the Democratic National Convention in favor of Hillary. Uh, if you take a look and at all so the money... And so why are you running a lot of ads with you and President Obama? Because uh, the, the vice, one of the things is the vice president keeps saying that he did all these things, and I'm running against the vice president. I'm not running against Barack Obama. I'm running against uh, Joe Biden as well as others, and that's what ads do, point out the difference. I was out there doing things. Joe did good service for the country, but not running things. That was not, he, that's not what the vice president does. The president and the president's chief of staff do the things, the implementation and making policy, and the vice president is a spokesman for the country. And, and Joe, I think, did a good job doing that, but it's not the same thing. So just quickly, the ads you're saying are a correct portrayal of your relationship with President Obama. We did a lot of things together over eight years, yeah. And, and he's a friend, um, and I've talked to him a number of times since then, socialized. But um, he's, he ran the country, and I was the mayor of New York City. And New York City and the federal government, given the size of New York, you do do a lot of things together. So I love this question. <laughs> I mean, multiple attempts at asking the same he's question. fucking floundering and flopping and flipping. And uh, we socially, I've seen him socially. <laughs> Every single lift that we got in in Washington, D.C. that was playing the radio. Yeah. We heard a Mike Bloomberg ad. No matter what station it was. He had flooded the airwaves of the radio. We even saw a few Bloomberg signs and windows. Yes, it was it was substantial. And I have heard from people that they thought Barack Obama, President Obama had endorsed this guy. Had endorsed Mike Bloomberg because yeah. of these ads. And I think they are designed to have you think that. They absolutely are designed that way. And so I love the question that she asked of why are you running these ads? Because I think that's what she was getting at. But you're not going to hear him say, oh, well, I'm trying to trick people into believing that he endorsed me. <laughs> right? Because he did not. Barack Obama has not endorsed anyone. Right. Not even Joe Biden, his actual vice president, who he picked to be vice president. Right. So that's something that we want to remember we want to keep in mind as mike bloomberg uses all of his scrooge mcduck money to try to manipulate yes. the population because listen him. he has not been on a ballot up until now i mean through south carolina not on a ballot super tuesday coming up will be his very first ballot that he'll be on because he spent all of his money a half 
a billion dollars up to this point betting on a good result on Super Tuesday. Right. So let's talk about exactly how this is going to work on Super Tuesday, because there are over a thousand delegates up for grabs on Super Tuesday. And a lot of people have questions, right, going into this. How does it work with the delegates? Super Tuesday is going to come down to one major factor for the Democratic presidential contenders, delegates. And getting those delegates means that candidates have to meet a key threshold to make it to the convention. News Hour Weekend Special Correspondent Jeff Greenfield explains. We're bringing our people together. The numbers are staggering. 14 states and one territory from one end of the continent to the other. This is the moment and it's arrived. 1,357 delegates at stake. We are going to show them and surprise them. Millions of voters, tens of millions of advertising dollars. But if you're looking for a number that will determine the outcome of Super Tuesday, there's really only one that matters, getting 15% of the vote. Why? It's because of the ground rules for how Democrats award delegates in the primaries. Well, they're very significant. And one way to understand this is to compare the Democratic rules and the Republican rules. There's no better guide to the way Democrats choose their nominees than Elaine Kamark. She's been a member of the party's rules committee for more than two decades and literally wrote the book on how Americans nominate presidential candidates. So the Democratic rules tend to favor not losers, but the second place finishers, whereas the Republican Party rules tend to be winner take all by congressional district. Democrats do award some delegates to a state's overall winner, but most of the delegates are based on how well they do in individual congressional districts. For comparison, just look at the last campaign. When Donald Trump won the New York Republican primary with 60% of the vote, he won 93% of the state's delegates. When Hillary Clinton won the New York Democratic primary with 58% of the vote, she got about 56% of the delegates, with Senator Bernie Sanders collecting the rest. Because Democrats do not have winner-take-all rules, you can win a fair number of delegates without actually winning a primary at all. But there's a catch. That 15% threshold can also dramatically boost a frontrunner in a crowded field. Take Senator Sanders in California with its 415 pledged delegates. Polls not only show Sanders with a large statewide lead, they show every other candidate struggling to hit 15%. If no one else gets above that mark, Sanders would get all of the 144 statewide delegates. That's about a third of all the delegates in the state. If that holds true in many of California's 53 congressional districts, Sanders would get the lion's share of those remaining delegates as well. So it is conceivable that a candidate like Sanders could win a huge majority of the delegates with far less than a majority of voters. But those same rules that boost a contender in a crowded field can also make gaining ground in a narrowed field very hard. In the last two contested Democratic primaries, 2008 and 2016, there were only two major candidates. So getting to that 15% threshold wasn't hard at all. But making up serious ground was also nearly impossible with no winner-take-all contests. That's what doomed Clinton in her race against Barack Obama in 2008, and it's what guaranteed her victory over Sanders last time out. She was winning enormous margins in the South. So her delegate lead over Bernie Sanders essentially carried her through the rest of the season and right on into the convention. That's a similar dynamic we could see this year. 
If Sanders solidifies a significant delegate lead after Super Tuesday, even a winnowed field will have a hard time catching up. With Joe Biden's landslide win in South Carolina last night, here are the crucial questions Super Tuesday might answer. First, can Biden win most of those southern states where there's a significant black electorate? Second, what happens if none of the moderates drop out between now and Tuesday? Would they so divide the vote that none of them hits that 15% mark? And third, what if Bloomberg, despite his massive advertising, including primetime speeches tonight on CBS and NBC, finishes far behind Biden in the voting? A little more than 48 hours from now, Super Tuesday might give us much more clarity about the Democratic field or leave it even more muddled than it is now. So according to 538, um, as of today at 1110 Eastern time, there is a... So this is pre-Pete dropping out. Right, but I'm going to get to that because right. Nate Silver just posted an article. So this, is, this what I'm about to talk about, is pre-Pete dropping out, but then I'm going to talk about how this changes with Pete dropping out, okay? So before Pete dropped out today... Allegedly. There was, <laughs> there was a three in five, okay, a 59% chance that no one would win a majority of pledged delegates. Right. Okay. So how this changes is now it gives Biden a boost to actually. Well, hang on. Spoiler uh, alert. Um, this was. I'm just trying to. Okay. To... Sh- sh- hush. Hush. Oh. This is. <laughs> this is up from one in two, fifty-two percent before South Carolina. Uh huh. Okay. Sanders. Remember, remember, this was before Pete dropped out. That, I remember. Sanders had a one in four. 27% chance of getting a majority, slightly worse than his one in three, 32% chance on Saturday morning. Okay. And Biden had a one in seven, 14% chance of getting a majority. Little changed from where he stood before South Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Um, according to 538, all other candidates have few paths to the nomination. South Carolina didn't change any of that. Okay. Now that Pete has dropped out, it gives Biden a major boost in his odds. The title of the article from Nate Silver is Election Update, Buttigieg Dropping Out Isn't Good for Sanders. Yeah. Okay. According to the 538 forecast, Sanders' chance of winning a majority of pledged delegates fell from 28% to 23% because of Pete Buttigieg dropping yeah. out. And the likelihood that no candidate gets a majority rose slightly from 59 to 64%. Actually, Joe Biden's majority chances, they're unchanged. This is why Tom Steyer needs to endorse Bernie to give... Um, the signal to his supporters that that's who he would support. And then also that's why Elizabeth Warren needs to drop out of the race and endorse Bernie right away, right away. Do the Pete thing and do it before Super Tuesday. And also uh, Andrew Yang needs to support Bernie and endorse Bernie. Well, so one of the things that Nate Silver writes here, and it it corresponds with the video that we just heard, the audio that we just heard, he writes, at first glance, this might seem counterintuitive. How does a candidate dropping out increase the likelihood of no majority? Shouldn't it clear the field up and make it easier to achieve a majority? The key is in how the Democrats' delegate math works. The rule requires candidates to receive at least 15% of the vote, typically, to win delegates statewide or at the district 
level. Yeah. Buttigieg was projected to get under 15% in the vast majority of states and districts on Super Tuesday. Thus, his votes were essentially wasted. Redistributing his votes to other candidates will help them to meet the 15% threshold. However, however, <laughs> I read that wrong. In particular, Senator Elizabeth Warren and former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg. So that that's why though and that that audio talked about that right yeah. the the unique rule that surrounds the democrat the democrats delegate democrats math. <laughs> the democrats <laughs> yeah well we also don't know where pete's going to come down i mean i would assume right, he's right. going to come down moderate and try to support uh biden to maybe try to get a, a vp nod yeah so people but, but he might who knows who knows he might come out and say yeah bernie's my guy yeah so people on twitter are talking about the possibility of him endorsing either biden or warren which is yeah. interesting yeah so. which is interesting anyway all right I think we've come to the the end of the the program, Brittany Page. Have we not? We have. Shall we end it with a little uh, good news? Let's do it. Taking care of biz. John Lewis. Representative John Lewis, civil rights icon. John Lewis. Yes. Well, today is the 55th anniversary of Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, mm-hmm. on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, uh, where John Lewis was beaten by police. Um, and, I mean, this this man, right, iconic, powerful. Living legend. Yes. And he is ill right now. He recently got some um, unfortunate health news, but he still made it to the bridge because it is that important to him to be there. And he gave a powerful statement and then also was interviewed by CNN. So I think we're going to play part of his statement here and then also part of his interview with CNN. It's the race for the White House, and right now some of the leading Democrats running for president are standing in one of the most important places in modern American history, and they are with someone who made it so important. This is Selma, Alabama, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where a peaceful march for equal human rights turned horribly violent 55 years ago this week. And meeting the crowd on that bridge just a short time ago, U.S. Congressman John Lewis riding onto the bridge in the backseat of this car. Lewis, of course, was badly hurt in a police beating on that bridge in 1965 and has attended every commemorative march since. His attendance today, of course, even more meaningful after his dreadful health news just a few weeks ago when we learned he has stage four pancreatic cancer. And Congressman Lewis spoke to people on that bridge just a short time ago, urging them to make their voices heard this election season. Attempted to march from Brown Chapel Amy Church across this bridge. We were beaten, we were tear gas. I thought I was going to down this bridge. But somehow and some way, God Almighty helped me here. We cannot give up now. We cannot give in. We must keep the faith. Keep our eyes on the prize. 
We must go out and vote like we never, ever voted before. Some people gave more than a little blood. Some gave their very lives. Yes. So I said to each and every one of you, especially you young people, the fraternities and sororities, yes, sir. you look good. <laughs> you look colorful. Go out there. Speak up. Speak out. Get in the way. Yeah. Get in good trouble. Good trouble. And help redeem the soul of America. Thank each and every one of you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to continue to fight. We need your prayers now more than ever before. Let's do it. Selma is a different place. America is a different place, but we can make it much better. We must use the vote as a nonviolent instrument or tool to redeem the soul of America. Thank you very much. Good to see you. So I I loved the beginning there, and you were commenting on this, Jesse, of everyone yelling, shut up, right? Yeah, yeah. John Lewis is speaking, shut up. Yeah. Um, All right, fucking zip it. Yeah. What a remarkable moment to be present for that. Yeah. And luckily, uh, CNN was able to get a hold of him after he made his appearance, and I, I really want you to listen to this because with everything that John Lewis has experienced in his lifetime... He still has a message of hope to deliver, and I think in this moment, it is a powerful reminder, especially coming from someone like John Lewis. In your remarks, you talked about the importance of voting. You said, quote, vote like you've never voted before. What did you mean by that? I simply meant that we have the power to change things. And the vote is the most powerful, nonviolent instrument or tool we have in a democratic society. And we must use it. If we fail to use it, we will lose it. Uh, you also spoke about redeeming the soul of America. What does that look like? We got to make America better for all of her people. But no one is left out or left behind because of their race, their color, because of where they grew up or where they were born. We are one people. We are one family. We all live in the same house. That's the American house. But what do you see as the next step? Because you spoke on the bridge about how times are different today than they were in 1965, thank goodness. And yet there's more progress to be made, right? What do you see as the next step? We got to continue to see that all of our young people, all of our children, receive the best possible education. We got to see that people are able to move up and not stay down. We must continue to say we must respect the dignity and the worth of all of our citizens. We live in a strange period. I live and grew up during the days of different presidents. And I met with presidents. I got to know President Kennedy. Met with him twice. There was a greater sense of hope, a greater sense of optimism. 
And we must find a way to inject into the very vein of America that sense of hope, that sense of optimism for all of our citizens. What gives you hope today? I am very hopeful and very optimistic that we're going to work everything out. It's the feeling that the changes that are continued to witness in so many different parts of America. And the American people want us to be hopeful, to be optimistic, and to lead them to a better place, to a better time. And that's what we must do. So, like I said before, we played that. And, Jesse, I think you are known for being optimistic as well. Yeah. I think it means so much hearing that message of hope and optimism from John Lewis, right? Just given his life story, given all of the things that he's experienced, and for him to look at America and say, America is better than it used to be. Someone who had their head literally cracked open. Right. On 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 the during the Selma march. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because of his civil rights activism. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. And for him to deliver that message and say, America is better than it was, but we still have work to do, get out there and continue to do that work. That's that's really motivating. And we wanted to play that before Super Tuesday. So just as a reminder, right, of what of, the stakes are, right, of what's at stake what's on the line and how important it is for you to get out there and make sure that you're voting and encouraging people that are in your circles to get out there and vote as well. It is more important now than ever that we vote. And really, listen, not just because we we face the 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 opportunity to rid ourselves of Donald Trump and the Trump administration, but because we really have an opportunity here to put ourselves on the right track for future generations. To do something about crippling student debt. To do something about crippling medical debt. We have, we have a real opportunity to change the course of America for the better. And I hope that you will join us in that we're going to leave you there we love you guys so much we appreciate all of your support we'd love to hear from you 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com we are a listener supported podcast this operation here if you have been on the fence if you thought that others are taking care of that, but you have now decided, oh, maybe maybe it's time for me to, to, to put my toe in the water. Let's also say this. If in you, the Patreon water. If you missed us, right? That's right. If you missed us because we provide some value to you right. that was missing over the last two weeks. If you're happy that we're back. <laughs> if you felt relief when you saw the podcast in your podcatcher. Yeah. That's a sign that you get value from this show and we would encourage you if you do get value from this show to support us on Patreon. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month, right? 
to really make that count, you want to go up to two probably, just just based on the percentages <laughs> that Patreon takes. Yeah. Uh, but we we really appreciate any amount, and we're so grateful to those of you who sent us positive messages about Jesse being sick, and really encouraging us to get healthy first before coming back and doing the show. We didn't totally listen to that advice, but hopefully you are thankful we're back. Absolutely. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. Since we're back, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.